Well, good morning, BCC. You remember what the best Christmas gift that you ever got was when you were a kid? Like, if you can just think about that for a minute. Some of you are still kids, so um, you're like going, hmm, I don't know. I remember when I was eight years old, I got the best Christmas present that I can remember that I was most excited about. I got the original Nintendo Entertainment System. Anyone remember the original Nintendo? Yeah, that's right. I remember I was eight years old, I wake up, and it's like 4 a.m., and my parents aren't awake yet, so I sneak into the living room under the tree, and I see this giant box that wasn't there when I went to sleep, and it's wrapped up, and I peek in the box, like I move the wrapping ever so slightly, and once I moved it, all I had to see was that Nintendo logo, and I knew I had finally got a Nintendo, and it was one with the red zapper, not the gray one. There was two different ones, and I was excited about that particular one. So now I'm, I go back to bed, and I'm like being real quiet to make sure no one knows I was awake, and I get back under the covers, and I'm practicing my surprise face <laughs> because I already know, and I'm like, okay, maybe it's like, <gasps> or, you know, I got to be convincing now, and if my, either of my parents are watching this this morning... Um, maybe they just found out that I knew, um, or maybe I wasn't as convincing as I thought that I was. Uh, I remember that gift. It just uh, stands out to me as just something that I can always go back to. A lot of Christmases, I don't even remember my Christmas presents that I got, but that year, I definitely remember that year. And it seems like the most powerful gifts that you and I have ever received are some of the most simple, uh, ones that have memories attached to them. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, that the best gifts are simple, but they are powerful. It's kind of like when you watch the video of, you know, interview of the couple that's been married for 60 years. It's always the same thing. The interviewer goes to interview this couple that's been married for 60 years, you know, celebrating their anniversary. And they always ask the couple the same question. You know what the question is? What is it? What's the question? What's the secret? Because everybody wants to know, what's the secret to staying married for 60 years? How on earth did you do it? What's the secret? And what does that sweet little old man always say? He always says the same thing. It doesn't matter who he is. It is the same stuff. He says, oh, I hold her hand and we go for walks and I open the door for her and I tell her I love her. And the interview's like, yeah, right. What's the secret? Because I'm struggling here, okay? Like... Like, that's cute and all, but I need the secret. And the funny thing is, is that he's honestly telling you the truth. He's telling you that it's these simple things that have been done consistently over a long period of time have invested in the relationship that he has with his wife, and that's how they've been able to continue to love one another throughout the years. It's not this big secret thing, but we want it to be, don't we? We want something complex. We want the mystery. We want the secret sauce. We want to know the answer. We want to find out what's that thing that I need to be doing. And you're like, yeah, 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 I know that. But really, like, tell me what is the secret. And we do the same thing in our lives where we often will seek and try to find the answers in our lives from so many different areas. And we miss the beauty of simplicity. And we miss the simple things 
because we think we know it or we think we've heard it before, especially when it comes to the rhythms of Christmas. And you begin to sing those old Christmas songs, hear those Christmas sermons, read the Christmas story. You know it's about Jesus' birth. They're not supposed to keep Christ in Christmas. I get it, right? But like really, like what's the secret? And we can dismiss the things that seem so simple to us or the things that seem common to us. We can miss those things because we think everything in life has to be complex. The answer has to be in some, has to be shrouded in mystery or it has to be some complex thing that I have to uncover or be able to figure out. And we miss those simple things. That's why the best gifts are simple, but they're powerful. And we draw from all of these temporary wells looking for satisfaction, looking for answers, looking for the thing that we think that we're missing. And we draw from these wells and we miss the simple things that are right in front of us. We'll draw from this well of ourselves where we think that the answer to all of life's problems is a better version of me. And so we will spend all of our effort, all of our energy, all of our time, all of our focus trying to just improve us because what I need, what the real answer is, is a better version of me because I'm just not quite there and I need to be better. So we want to all learn how to self, uh, self-improve, how to get better, how to do whatever it is that we've been wanting to do or couldn't do before or get better at and we'll just get so immersed in this idea of wanting to be the best version of ourselves we can be for the sake of seeking some sort of satisfaction or peace or some sort of, uh, I'm, I'm finally okay now. I've hit like okay status. And people will keep drawing from that well and it's just never enough. It'll consume you when you draw from that well of yourself or a better version of yourself over and over again. Sometimes we will draw from the well of others where we think that it's another person that we need in order to be complete or to be satisfied, whether that's a friendship, whether that's a relationship, whether that's marriage, whether that's uh, uh, living vicariously through children, whatever the case may be, we'll look to others to somehow satisfy this void in us or whatever it is that we may be feel, feel that we're missing or whatever emptiness that we may feel, and we'll just draw repeatedly over and over again from that well. Well, it's got to be this relationship or it's got to be that relationship. This is what's going to make me happy. This is what's going to make me fulfilled. And so if I'm not happy, if I'm not fulfilled, it makes me just blame other people because I may not be blaming myself any longer, but maybe I'm blaming others because they're not doing for me what they should do and, and they're not there for me when they should be and they're not acting this way. And so we continually look for other people to fill us up and we always come up empty over and over again. Some of us draw from the well of the things of this world, where we think that somehow the things in this world is what's going to satisfy us. We feel that a bigger, a better house, maybe a a, a nicer car, or maybe, you know, nicer clothes, or uh, some sort of status that, you know, we need to achieve in front of our friends in order to finally be okay. And now, look, I have that thing that I needed that I didn't have before that I now feel because I have it, I'm okay, and will only feel temporary satisfied and we'll go right back to that well over and over again. I remember when I was a kid that I had this really strange view of wealth. Uh, I thought when I was a kid that if you had a two-story house, you were rich. And that was just my value system. It didn't matter what kind of two-story house. If you had stairs in your house, you were rich. Because for some reason in my mind, that's, that's what I thought. My grandparents had a house that had stairs in it. And man, I thought my grandparents were just loaded growing up. 
because they had stairs and I always wanted a house with stairs in it and I never had one when we um, were all, all my uh, years growing up in home we never had a two-story house and I remember the first time that my wife and I uh, bought a house in Wisconsin that had uh, an upstairs I thought I've arrived I finally I finally made it I got those stairs that I wanted and then I was like you know I don't want stairs anymore I think I want a ranch actually where everything just kind of one level. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I uh, don't want to be rich anymore. Uh, it's funny though, because we have these ideas in our minds, and who knows where that idea came from as a kid, but we all have these ideas that we've latched onto that we think are success, and it's all something different for each one of us, or something that, that maybe you're chasing after, that you think, once I get that, then I'm going to be okay, or I'm going to achieve this certain status, and you chase after it, and you chase after it, and you chase after it, and then if you do finally end up getting it, does it really make you happy, or does that well continually leave you empty, and you want to go back and draw from that well? The last well that I think that often we'll draw from is the well of religion, where religion would say that somehow by my behavior and by what I've done, I've somehow in my own ability put God in my debt because of what I've done for him, and so now God owes me. That's the attitude of a religious person. Because people who trust in religion are trusting in their behavior, their ability to accomplish things in their own strength, and now God, look at how good I am. Aren't you glad I'm on your team? And that's how people that are religious think. They think that they're somehow doing God a favor by the way that they live and how they're so good at following all the rules and they're better than everyone else who is trying to follow the rules because they're working really hard to do everything just right. Or they live in fear, never feeling like they're good enough because they feel like they're not following the rules quite good enough. And so the enemy has them trapped in this uh, drawing from this well of religion because they feel that just because they, they messed up or they're not getting everything just perfect in their lives that they're somehow failing. And now they've got to fake it and make everyone think that they've got it all together. Either way, it's a trap of the enemy, and it's a well that if you keep going back to it and drawing from it and drinking from it, it's going to leave you empty. It may temporarily satisfy. You may have a, this feeling of a temporary victory along the way, but you're going to keep running back to it over and over again, and you're looking for the answers in life. You're looking for something to satisfy, something to make you okay, something to make me feel like I am, I'm, I'm doing well, and what we're really searching for is peace. And we're looking for peace and we're trying to find it from other things or we're trying to find peace from within ourselves or we're trying to find satisfaction and, and, and contentment from things in this world or from something I can do on my own. And we know, we know, you're sitting here today in church, you know that Jesus is that living water that once you drink from him, you'll never be thirsty again. We know this, but how can we change our mindset from this being something that we know to something that we actually experience how can the fact that christ came and was born of a virgin and was born eventually to die in our place how could this good news how could this gospel really satisfy i want us to talk about that a little bit this morning let's read about Christ's birth together in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. Scripture says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, 
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger and they saw it. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. When we hear this story, we're reminded of why Christ came and who he actually is. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we see how big of a deal this was, how, how, how profound that it was. And it captivated the hearts of these shepherds. It captivated the hearts of so many. But yet the way Christ came and the conditions in which he was born in was very simple. It was something that you would look at as almost common or actually something that didn't appear to the human value system as very special. He's just born, really, and he's just found in this manger. Just this, this is a place where animals feed, and this is something that would be reserved for uh, someone who was very poor, someone who, who couldn't afford to be somewhere a little nicer, and what's going on here? And this doesn't seem like this is all that important, but these people are blown away. Their hearts are captivated because they know there's something simple but yet profound that has happened. And Mary, as she's watching all of this, as she's experiencing all of this, she's treasuring these things in her heart. And the birth of Christ transforms us when we recognize this, that Jesus is enough. The birth of Christ transforms us when we recognize that Jesus is enough because all of our searching exhausts us. We are tired of being tired, amen? <laughs> Ask anyone. They're either too busy or they're too tired to do really a whole lot of anything because we can have our schedule so filled with so many things that we're looking to satisfy or so many things that we're trying to accomplish or do and we keep going back and drawing from these wells and we are exhausted drawing from those wells. But Christ transforms us when we recognize that he is enough. And I'm not talking about a recognition with our minds, I'm talking about a transformation in the heart where we finally understand that he is enough. All of our searching, all of our wondering, all of our seeking, it will wear us out and the temporary satisfaction that we receive from what drawing from whatever well we may draw, be drawing from, it still leaves us empty. We seek out everything, it seems, except for the true gift that settles the restless heart. The gift that settles our hearts and gives us true peace. Peace that comes from knowing God. Understand that this world wants peace. They want peace that comes from God. And all of us want peace that comes from God. Because you and I often will seek this type of peace when we're upset about something. 
or when we're anxious about something and maybe a lot of fear is present because of the unknown or whatever the case may be and we'll ask God for peace. I need peace, I need peace. Have you ever prayed for peace before and ask God to give you peace? I think we all have over some issue in our life. Even this world wants peace, but the type of peace they want is a calm. It's a calm and and it's that everything is okay. But can I tell you, church, that the peace from God comes only after knowing that you have peace with God. There is a difference. Peace with God puts me in a position to experience the peace from God. Because I need to know, first and foremost, that I am in right standing with my creator. And I can't do that on my own strength, amen? I can't do that in my own ability. I can't try to satisfy the the things that I've done against God. I can't right the wrongs in my own strength. I can't do enough good to outweigh the bad as if it were some sort of karma-based system, some sort of merit-based system where I'm trying to be a good enough person to where it outshines the bad that I've done. No, I need someone else to do something for me I could never do on my best day. And he has done that, and his name is Jesus. And when I trust in Jesus Christ alone as my Lord and as my Savior, he does something in me. By faith, he makes me have peace with God. Therefore, positionally, because I have peace with God, then I can experience the peace that comes from God. Because the peace from God that flows, flows from knowing I'm right in his eyes that I've been made righteous. That word righteous simply means I'm in right standing. It means now I'm clean. I've been born again. I am now forgiven. I am now adopted. I'm accepted into his family because I've trusted in what Christ has done as being enough. Therefore, Jesus and the gift of Christ is more than enough. There is no greater gift and there should be no greater joy. Amen? There is no greater gift. And it's so simple. And it's something that we we see that, that often it becomes so simple that we treat it as common. And this should never be so. We should never treat it as common. We do this with all sorts of things in life, man. We can we can easily do this when we receive communion together. Especially in a church like Bettendorf Christian Church, where we want to observe the Lord's Supper every time we gather together. Sometimes you can go, oh, this is the part of the service where we do the communion, and oh, we're doing the bread, and we're doing the juice, and this is where we do the thing, and it can become so common. This is the part where we sing, this is the part where we pray, this is the part where the sermon is, and we can go through these rhythms, and they can become commonplace to us, and we can miss out on the significance of the simplicity. We can miss out on the affections that should be stirred in our hearts because of what Christ has done, because often we'll just get in a routine and we'll get in a rut and we'll miss out on the true blessing of knowing that we are in right standing with God through Christ because we treat it as common. We have to redirect our focus, reorient our hearts, have our affections stirred so that our hearts truly can be focused on him and anchored in him because if we don't, we will begin to run to other wells and we will begin to look to other things. Because we'll go, yeah, I know Jesus is supposed to be enough, but I need Jesus plus this. I know Jesus is supposed to be all sufficient, but I need Jesus plus all of these other things. And we'll begin to chase after those things when the enemy gets our heart's affections off of Christ and onto other things. 
because we've treated those things as common, because perhaps our affections have been captivated by something else that we have allowed to whisper in our ear and lie to us and draw our affections away from Christ and get our affections on other things. It's not wrong to care about other things. It's just they should not take the place of Christ. Amen? Christ should be seated on the throne of my heart as the Lord of my life, the one who, re- who receives all glory and all praise, and it changes the priority in which I live my life. It changes my value system. It changes how I look at everyday interactions. It changes the way that I live, and there should be fruit coming from my life, not because I know I'm supposed to produce fruit as a Christian, but because my life is naturally producing fruit because I am a Christian who is trusted in Christ. Amen? Go over to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read from there a little bit of the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Colossae. He was writing to these folks as they're just beginning to experience the beginnings of persecution. They're beginning to experience some of those initial thoughts of, 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 of now not everyone's really liking what's going on and now there's other voices out there that are taking Christ and perverting that message and so now there's false teachers and there's also people who are against you and people who are trying to arrest you and make your life more difficult because you're a Christ follower. And the Apostle Paul is writing to them to deal with both the issue of false teachers and also the persecution that they're just now beginning to experience and he's wanting to encourage them and remind them of who they are because they've been doing really well and he wants them to continue to stay strong in Christ and so the apostle Paul writes this Colossians chapter 1 verse 1 Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae grace to you and peace from God our father We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. If you're expecting a child and you haven't picked a name out yet, just saying, Epaphras would be pretty cool. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then Paul starts preaching now. Verse 15, which we're about to read, imagine... Imagine it with an organ behind it, okay? He is the image of the he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creations. Okay, ready? For by him all things were created 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Isn't that amazing? If you ever aren't, are feeling down and you need to get your heart refocused on who Christ is, you need to read Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23, and imagine that there's an organ behind it. Because there's some passion here in Paul's words. There's some passion here in what he's saying. Paul is trying to communicate how Christ is enough and there's no one greater than Christ. He he uses the word preeminent. This word means there's no one bigger, nothing greater. There's no one that could be bigger or better or greater. He's saying that he is preeminent. He is above all things. He's in all things. He's through all things. He, he is the best. And if you have Christ, how, how on earth has, does this not blow our minds that we can have Christ in us and we can be in Christ? How does this just not just blow our minds when we think about it? Because he says we were alienated. We were dead in our trespasses. We were cut off. We were lifeless. We were headed for hell. And he steps into history and makes a way where there was no way. He saved us. He forgave us. He said, you've received this gospel. He said, and now because you've received this gospel, don't just get complacent in it. Don't just sit in it and just go, well, I got that. I guess now it's time to just, you know, keep on doing what I want to do. No. He says, now that you've received this gospel, keep increasing in your knowledge of God. Keep increasing in the fruit that you've already been showing. He said, the fruit you're showing, it's abounding. It's increasing. Why? Because you're knowing God more and you're delighting in Christ. You have found something. You have found joy in Christ that only comes from knowing Christ. And so if I have the joy that comes from God, then there is peace there. And where there is peace, there is strength to persevere. Because Paul's letting them know you're gonna need to draw from that well of strength that only comes from Christ because you're gonna need to continue to persevere. Matter of fact, he tells them in verse 11, he says to endure with patience, man. He's like, I'm excited for you. I'm glad things are going well. I'm glad, I'm glad there's fruit coming out of your life. But I know that you're going to need to keep on keeping on. And you're going to need to keep in, uh, growing and increasing in your knowledge of God. And you're going to keep needing to encourage one another because things are going to get difficult. Things are going to happen and you're going to need patience for that. So I'm praying that you have patience to endure 
that you won't get distracted by the things in this world or the pressures of this world, that you won't get distracted and be tempted to go back and draw from these wells you used to draw from, looking for satisfaction, looking for peace, looking for joy, that you would truly find contentment in Christ and that he would be enough. It's not Christ plus something else. No, it's Christ plus nothing equals everything. Amen, church? And when I realized that, it is the simplicity of the gospel that helps me to be content when the enemy wants to try to tempt me with saying I need something else in order to be enough, in order to be satisfied, in order to be full of joy, in in order to have peace. I can remind myself of the gospel and be anchored in it, lest I go back and live the way that I lived before I had tasted and seen that the Lord was good. As if there was something else better out there as if there's something else greater out there. That would be degrading to the very name of Christ for me to even go out and to try to live like there was something else I needed other than Christ. Once I have discovered how beautiful Christ is and how wonderful he is, and yet so simple. So simple that I trust that I have faith, that I begin to believe. Now I begin to know God more. I begin to grow in Christ. I begin to produce fruit. We make this stuff so complicated sometimes and we make it so hard when really God wants us to get down to the basics of just loving him, amen? And he's made a pathway for us to be reconnected to him. He's made a way where there was no way. I I love the parable of Jesus and and, and I don't know where it is right off the top of my head in the Bible, but it's in there, you can trust me. Um, I'm a pastor. Um, (laughs) People are like, well... (laughs) I love the parable that Jesus tells of the man who was out um, walking and he wanders in this field and he stumbles upon this treasure in the field. And as he stumbles upon the treasure in the field, out of the joy, scripture says, out of the joy that he had for that treasure, he goes and sells everything that he has in order to buy that field. He says, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. This is someone who has God's value system is gonna value Christ in this way. It's gonna value kingdom things this way. That there's nothing else greater. It says out of the joy in his heart, he goes and sells everything that he has over his joy. Normally when we think about like eliminating everything that we own just to buy one thing, we think that's a sad day. That's a really bad day when I had to sell all my stuff, right? But it doesn't say out of his sadness, he's like mourning the loss of all of his other possessions and well, I guess I'm gonna go buy this field because it seems pretty great. No, it says out of the joy, his motive was joy. Joy over having discovered this treasure in the field. He had to have it. He wanted to do whatever it took to possess it because he knew that that was the thing that he he needed and he had found. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Could you imagine this guy and and what all of, uh, you know, in this parable, all of the people who who may have saw him selling his possessions and maybe even as he's going through his possessions, you know, he's looking through these things and getting rid of them. You know, you guys remember eBay? You guys remember what that was? Um, I know it's still out there kind of, but, you know, he's listing stuff on eBay to sell, Right. And he doesn't even care what it is. Like, you know, he looks at it and this could be like an heirloom that was passed down for like four generations. And, you know, it's got so much significance. It doesn't matter because I want what's in the field more. 
I want that more. Like, I don't even care. And he's not even sad about it because out of his joy of what he's found, he's willing to give everything. All of the things that he once thought precious, all the things that he once thought were important, all the things that he once thought mattered, now nothing else matters more than this. This is the person who has been captivated by Christ. This is the person whose eyes have been opened to see their need and see Christ as the answer to their need. This is the person who has discovered that joy. There should be joy in the life of the Christian, amen? The things that bog us down, the things that weigh us down are the things that we make too complex, the things that we make difficult. The joy is in the beauty of simplicity of the gospel when I remind myself that I who once was lost because of Christ, now I am found. I who once was blind, now I see my need for Christ and I see Christ as the answer to that need. And now he is my hope both now in this life and forever. So that means that whatever happens in this world, that means that whatever happens in this life, that means that whatever may come, whatever trials, whatever challenges, whatever difficulties may come, I don't have to go back and draw from the old wells that I used to draw from to try to find answers. I don't have to go back to the well of myself and look for answers or the well of others or go back to the well of the things of this world or the well of religion to find answers. I've already found the answer and his name is Jesus and I have to be patient and endure and continue to keep him as the focus and not allow myself to get off track because he is the hope. He's preeminent. He's above all things. He's greater than anything and when I remind myself of who he is and what he's done, it helps to anchor my heart, my restless heart, And trusting in the sufficiency of Christ. That he is all sufficient. And that he is enough. This is is not some game we're playing. The heart that has been illuminated. That has seen the truth. Knows this to be true. Amen. And then we pray for those who have yet to discover the joy of following Christ. Paul prays that the Colossians would have strength and patience to endure And to have joy. He understood the joy in discovering the forgiveness and reconciliation and peace that comes with Christ. Because joy and peace don't come from everything going my way. Oftentimes we think that's where it comes from and so we try to make it happen. And we try to think, well, if God will help me do that, I'll try that. Maybe he'll help me control everything in my life. And once I get everything under control, then I can be full of joy. Once everything gets taken care of, then I can have peace. As if it's always something that's dangled in front of us that maybe we just experience every now and again. Joy and peace don't come from everything going my way or things being settled or under control or when you have enough money in the bank and you and your wife are doing great and, you know, the boss at the job likes you and, you know, everything's just humming right along. That's not where joy and peace comes from. If we're chasing after those things to all be right all of the time in order for us to have joy and peace, we're searching for the wrong things because we're searching in the wrong places because those things can only come from Christ, at least the things that are eternal and that truly last, amen? A person who's been transformed by Christ is gonna bear fruit, scripture says, of knowing him, knowing that he's more than enough. And here the apostle Paul encourages the church to continue to pursue knowing God more. And you've been challenged over these past few weeks in this transformation series to pursue knowing God more. And you've been given equipping 
to be able to do that, to take some practical steps in the direction of knowing God more through Scripture because at BCC, Scripture is our starting point and we want to make sure that we understand how to handle the Word of God and rightly divide the Word of Truth and be able to grow in understanding the Bible and you were taught some very practical ways to do that and my prayer is that you have been doing those things as you were taught them. And then we also talked about prayer and how we pray and talk to God and how we can trust him and we can deepen our dependence on him through the way that we pray and how we're deepening that trust in him. And so that's knowing God more through worshiping him, through, through prayer, through having that relationship and that fellowship with him. And then we talked about generosity and how generosity is something that is a part of the heart and the nature of who God is. And when we set ourselves up and live our lives in a way to be generous people with our time, our talent, our resources, that we are modeling and displaying the heart of God, thus getting to know him more, thus tapping into the heart of God more, and beginning to share in the joy of serving God together. And then Pastor Barry this past week talked about how to invest in that next generation and invest in other people. And he gave us some practical ways just to begin to identify people that are going to need their faith strengthened and encouraged and that are going to need that person to walk along with them. And perhaps God has stirred you to either find that person or maybe to be that person where we can begin to invest in the next generation and make sure that our faith goes even stronger beyond our lifetimes as we invest into that next generation. All these things are gonna help us to live that transformed life. But it all starts with knowing Christ, amen? It all starts with Christ being enough. So I wanna help us focus on keeping Christ the center. And so I wanna just give you three really practical things before we go so we can stay anchored in having the birth of Christ transform us because I know that we're all entering into a really, really busy time, um, depending on the rhythms that you uh, normally keep with your family and all the things going on. And I hope that these things help you to stay anchored in Christ being enough so that you can continually draw from that living water and never thirst again and stop going back to those old wells that you've gone to before. So here's the first thing. Establish non-negotiables that are gonna bring glory to God. We all have non-negotiables in our lives, the things that are just going to happen, you know, like eating, non-negotiable, right? Sleeping, non-negotiable, those are two of our favorites. And they are non-negotiables and they are going to happen. And some of you are thinking about one of those two right now. <laughs> we have non-negotiables in our lives, things that, are, that, that we build our schedules around because these things must happen. Um, if you must go to work, you must do certain things and our schedule and our priorities go around those things and our, because those things are the bigger pieces that we aren't just going to uh, e easily dismiss or get rid of because we understand they're important. And so we put those as like the big rocks in our lives and in our schedules. You need to establish what are the non-negotiables in your pursuit of Christ, especially when you're gonna be going through these next couple of weeks in a busier season and the busyness ramps up and we can often neglect our pursuit of Christ. We can often neglect our knowing God more because we can get so busy with Christmas that we forget Christ in the middle of all of our busyness. Isn't that crazy that we even have to say things like that? But it's the way that this world works and the way that 
the world tries to steal our attention away from Christ. And I want to remind you, what are those rhythms that are non-negotiable for you? Those rhythms of prayer, those rhythms of being in scripture, those rhythms of staying focused on Christ. What are those things, not only for you, but for your family? I know it's easy just to dismiss them because it's busy and things are a little out of sorts. Maybe a family from out of town or maybe you're going out of town or whatever the case may be. You're having to work extra hours or you're having to work a weird schedule or whatever the case may be. What are the non-negotiables? What are the non-negotiables? Can you make sure that you establish those things and prioritize them first that bring glory to God? Second thing is to evaluate your traditions and lower the stress to keep things focused on Jesus. Sometimes... We get so busy going through the rhythms of all of our traditions that we don't stop and evaluate them. We just do them because, well, they're traditions and we've always done them and it's the thing that we always do. Does it glorify God and does it focus your heart on Jesus? If it's causing stress in your life and it's taking away from Christ, maybe it's time for those traditions to either be refocused or it's time for them to go away. And I know that that's hard sometimes because we've always done this or we've always done that. But is it stirring your heart to Christ? Is it keeping you focused on Jesus? Or is it just something you're trying to cram in and it's stressing you out because it's something you've always done? Have you ever stopped to evaluate? Should we do this or can we repurpose this? Is there a better way to do this? Because I know that it's not the will of God for you to be stressed out during Christmas season and distracted by everything that has nothing to do with Christ. I believe he wants all the praise and all the glory and all the attention to be focused on himself, amen? And if that's what God wants and that's what he deserves, amen? And how, what, what am I doing to make sure that the rhythms of my life and the busyness of this season stay focused on that? Um, I know that uh, one of the things that used to happen that was a cool tradition when my kids were little, we would gather at my wife's grandmother's house and all of the family would come together. It was a small home and somehow we crammed all these kids in there. It was pretty awesome. And they always had like a, a, a birthday cake for Jesus and we would read the Christmas story, sing happy birthday to Jesus. It was just a fun little tradition and it was a great thing to do. And then the kids got older and they stopped doing it. It doesn't mean because we don't love Jesus anymore. It was just a fun tradition that lasted during that season, you know. But what are those little things that you could do that you could keep the focus on Christ, whatever the case may be? No matter how old your kids are, no matter how big or small your family is, what are things you could do to keep things focused on Jesus that are not stressful? Lower that stress level because you want to stay focused on Christ this season. And the last thing, start with scripture. Pray together. Do something generous. Invest in others through your example. These are all the things that we've taught over these past few weeks as we have been going through this transformation series. Start with scripture. That means I want to make sure my behaviors and my attitudes are lining up with scripture. I wanna make sure that my focus and my heart is being anchored by scripture. I wanna start with scripture. Maybe that means you start off Christmas morning with scripture. Maybe that means that you do something a little different because you want Jesus to be the focus. Maybe you wanna use that Luke chapter two that we read. Maybe that's, that'd be a good thing for you just to read over to her. Start with scripture and remind everyone what we're doing. Set the tone, let that, simplicity of the message of why Christ came and how he came, the miraculous way that he came. Let that transform us. Be a person that's praying, pray together. Maybe, maybe there's some things we can pray about together 
Instead of just thinking about ourselves, maybe we can begin to think about others and think more generously. This is going to be a great investment in your family, I believe. The birth of Christ transforms us when we recognize Jesus is enough. So Heavenly Father, we ask you to help us as we're reminded of our need for Jesus and as we're reminded that he is sufficient, there is no greater gift. Forgive us for looking in all these other wells. Forgive us for searching as if there were something greater. There is no one, there is nothing greater than you. We trust in you and help our eyes and our hearts to be focused on you this Christmas season in Jesus' name. Amen.